Governor Kemp takes aim at metro Atlanta suburbs. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with the other host, Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the AJC. If you're just listening to us for the first time, please follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode of Politically Georgia. But first, talk about the week in politics and Patricia. This week, I was out at Texas Tribune Festival and caught some of the campaign events earlier this week. I also had, I guess, it's a Sandy Koufax moment by not attending the White House's Atlanta Braves celebration in Washington. I can assure you I would have tried to make it any way possible, if not for Rosh Hashanah, but I was uh, uh, being a dutiful observant Jew at uh, at my synagogue uh, all day on Monday, but certainly got a barrage of texts from people, including several members of Congress saying, why aren't you here? And I had to remind them, it's Rosh Hashanah. I'm sorry, several members of Congress are asking you this. I feel like they, they should have more on their plates than texting you about where you are on Monday. <laughs> I think my Braves fandom might be well known. I think and so. Also my <laughs> A little my bit. ability to, to get onto the sidelines of, of major events. And certainly, and I even tweeted this, that it's a... Um, a big question, right? Should I go? Asking for a friend, should I go? Even if it's Rosh Hashanah. At that point, we didn't know the ceremony would have been at 11. Had it been later in the afternoon, I could have gone to synagogue with my brother. It, it would have worked out a little better. But instead, it was right in the middle of our services, which usually go from 8 a.m.-ish to about 1-ish. So I was I was in the sixth or seventh row of B'nai Torah synagogue in Sandy Springs. Greg, you made the only choice possible. Uh, other, Your Jewish guilt would not have let you do anything besides that. And my Catholic guilt would have felt bad for you doing that if you'd gone to the Braves event. So it was best for both of us. Patricia, you've been busy on the campaign trail as well. And you hit a few events on Monday and Tuesday. So it is never slowing down, it feels like. It is never slowing down. It is. It, it's just It's just that time of year when it's just like being on expressway and just the cars keep coming. You know, you just got to you just got to run for your life, <laughs> basically, <laughs> because this is when every candidate is trying to get in front of every voter. And it's also really like the whole reason we built this machine. So we have to take it out for a drive also. So it's it's a great time of year, but yes, it is just incredibly busy. Well, the machine is out for the drive. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Patricia, we were out on the campaign trail on Tuesday as well, where Governor Kemp, 
uh, made one of his first campaign stops in the metro Atlanta suburbs this election cycle. We're also going to keep putting our parents and our children first. We're not going to allow them to be indoctrinated in our classrooms. We're going to continue to make sure that we're transparent with everybody that's involved in education. We're going to make sure that we have fairness in girls' sports. And we're going to continue... We're going to continue to be focused on learning loss, the teacher pipeline, and a lot of other great things that I've been proposed, proposing for this campaign that we're going to do in January. Let's be clear. You know, it's not like he hasn't been in the suburbs. It's not like he hasn't been all over the city of Atlanta. Of course, the capital is right in the heart of downtown Atlanta. But so far, most of his campaign stops have been anywhere but Metro Atlanta. They've been in rural Georgia. They've been in North Georgia. They've been around his hometown in Athens. They've been along the coast. Back in 2018, he had a similar strategy where he had very few campaign stops in the Atlanta suburbs. He spent a lot of money on TV in Atlanta, of course, but very few campaign stops in metro Atlanta suburbs. But I think this is signaling a change for his campaign. He's up in the polls. He has a number of policies that were sort of tailored to the suburbs, particularly education policies. And on Tuesday, he campaigned with Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin, who, of course, won his upset victory in Virginia last year, fueled by education proposals that really were aimed at white suburban women who were upset with pandemic-related changes. When all across America, the left liberal progressives think that parents do not have a role in their child's education, Brian Kemp stands up and says, no, we will have a parent's Bill of Rights here in Georgia. Now, I may not know that much, but this one seems pretty clear to me that you all have to reelect Brian Kemp. Yes. So Glenn Youngkin is really the playbook. If you want to look at what Governor Brian Kemp is doing right now, Glenn Youngkin is that exact same kind of governor, more business focused, looking to sort of move forward with some more support in the suburbs than Republicans have been getting recently. When I say than they've been getting recently, Republicans in Georgia sort of rebuilt their entire party apparatus with the suburbs, with Cobb County, with Gwinnett County. But over the last several cycles, Democrats have not only narrowed those, they've just started to dominate in places like Cobb and Gwinnett. Um, in Gwinnett, Joe Biden won by 18 points, won Cobb by 19 points. I mean, it's just become Democratic territory. So Republicans especially with the example of Glenn Youngkin, really believe they can get into those suburbs, make the case, especially on education and the economy, just as Glenn Youngkin did, and claw back some of those losses to Democrats. And that's what they're going to need to do, not just for this election cycle, but going forward in order to remain competitive. And Virginia is a very similar state in that it was extremely Republican, flipped to the Democrats. Now Glenn Youngkin has taken that back for the Republicans. And so that's a really good playbook to look at when you're thinking about a governor like Brian Kemp and his plan to to win in Georgia and sort of lay the groundwork for future victories for Republicans as well. You know, it's similar to what we talked about with Stacey Abrams and Senator Raphael Warnock and how they were in rural territories. They were in southwest Georgia in these counties that went 70-30, 80-20, Donald Trump in 2020. They're not expecting to win 
these counties. You know, uh, Brian Kemp does not expect to win Fulton County or DeKalb County or Cobb County or Gwinnett County or Henry County, the, the counties that have decisively turned blue, in particular Gwinnett, Cobb, and Henry that have flipped blue just in the past, since 2016, really. But you can shave some of those points off. You can shave some margins. And you shave a few points off in Gwinnett County, that's tens of thousands of votes that could go your way if you're a Republican. Uh, again, you know, you're seeing this confidence from Governor Kemp and frankly from Republican Senate hopeful Herschel Walker, who is no stranger to the metro Atlanta suburbs either. He's had a number of events in the suburbs and in the exurbs, which are another territory, more ground, the Republicans. In this case, they're holding that red territory. They're hoping not to uh, get further encroached by Democrats, but very important territory for both these candidates. Yeah, well, first of all, that's where the population is continuing to grow. And so that there is just more and more votes to go after. It's a very efficient place to campaign, quite frankly, because you know, you'll get a lot of people out at your events. And it's a territory that Republicans think they just should not cede to the Democrats, even though they've been losing by these huge margins. And a place like North Fulton, where Governor Kemp was with Glenn Youngkin is a perfect example that those are conservative voters up there. There's no reason to leave the entire Entire sort of northern arc to Democrats. And so going in with Glenn Youngkin, who won in places like Loudoun County, Virginia, just outside of D.C., very, very similar to kind of the North Fulton, Gwinnett, Cobb area. And Youngkin's formula to win instead of the way Donald Trump lost Virginia, Glenn Youngkin dominated the rural areas of the state, won by larger margins than Donald Trump, and then improved the margins in the suburbs. And so that's how he flipped Virginia from blue to red in just about a year over the course of that time um, with that formula. And again, education was really a big, big piece of that. Herschel Walker is out in exurban areas of the city on Tuesday, um, talking about transgender sports, keeping transgender athletes out of high school sports, or even college sports, he says that it's sort of in his own words, he needs to protect girls sports from men. That is a big applause line at events that he goes to. Glenn Youngkin also used a lot of social issues in an education forum to win Republican voters back, especially suburban parents back. And so I think that's something we'll watch both Herschel Walker and Governor Kemp try to do. You know, Patricia, the governor, he began sharpening his education platform around the same time that Glenn Youngkin defeated a Democratic frontrunner back last November. And the strategy here is to appeal to both Donald Trump supporters and more moderate suburbanites with this focus on classroom issues. Uh, We saw a very aggressive agenda from Governor Kemp this past legislative session when it came to education issues. The centerpiece of the package he signed into law uh, a few months ago seeks to direct how public school educators teach students about race and what is termed divisive concepts. It also creates an oversight committee that, that, as you mentioned, could block and did block transgender students from playing on sports teams that don't match the gender on their birth certificate. There were other new laws that make it easier for parents to remove books considered obscene, quote unquote, or inappropriate from public school classrooms and coursework and other legislation that lets parents opt their children out of mask mandates. This, of course, was a reaction to Stacey Abrams, who drew a lot of backlash for taking maskless photos at a school earlier this year, surrounded by masks students and teachers. So a lot of education issues on the agenda. And I doubt we're going to hear much about 
anti-abortion restrictions from any of these Republican candidates, particularly when they're going to Metro Atlanta suburban stops. And Patricia, you were with Senator Warnock earlier this week when he talked about the importance of abortion rights in this campaign. And I also have a deep respect for choice. And I just happen to think that a patient's room is too narrow and cramped a space for a woman, her doctor, and the United States government. So women, I trust women in their wisdom and their ability to sit with their own doctor. And if they choose to sit with their pastor. And to pray about that and let their own conscience guide them. So, Greg, I was out with Senator Warnock in Atlanta. It was a Seniors for Warnock event, but the biggest applause line of this entire event was for abortion and abortion rights. And when he talked about it, he mentioned something that Herschel Walker has said about him, and I've never heard Warnock refer to it, um, but uh, Herschel Walker on the campaign trail will say, what kind of a pastor is pro-choice? What kind of a pastor is that, a pro-choice pastor? And that is, is his real attack line in the area of abortion and attacking Raphael Warnock. And so Warnock at this event said, you know, people have been out there trolling me and saying, what kind of a pastor can be pro-choice? And I'll tell you. And so he said, I believe that women can make this choice for themselves. And that was the moment that he got just enormous amounts of applause. And when I talked to seniors afterward, and these are people in their 70s and 80s, they said that abortion was hugely important as an issue to them and that they appreciated that they felt like, first of all, they described Senator Warnock as somebody who they felt like was trustworthy and a man of God, but also protects the rights of women. And so as much as we have heard and seen that this issue is not popping in polling, it's definitely popping in those events. And I thought that was really interesting. And and when you think about the issues that separate Warnock and Walker, they couldn't really have much more different positions on this issue. I was thinking the exact same thing. There couldn't be a starker divide when it comes to abortion because, of course, Senator Warnock is a pro-abortion rights, um, has not really put any limits in his, at least in words or in writing, on where he would um, restrict abortion, whereas his opponent, Herschel Walker, supports what he calls a 100% total ban, even in cases of of rape, incest, when the life of the mother is at stake. And he has also supported a 15-week national abortion ban proposed by Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina. That was a break from other key national Republican figures who swiftly distanced themselves from that proposal. Um, This is what Herschel Walker said at the time when that proposal came out. I'm a proud pro-life Christian, and I will always stand up for our unborn children. I believe the issue should be decided at the state level. But I would support this policy. So it should be a state policy, but he also supports a federal ban. Patricia, he was also asked about Medicaid expansion, which is, of course, another huge healthcare related issue by our colleague Shannon McCaffrey at a campaign stop earlier this week. Here's what he said. Uh, well, right now, Medicaid is not been good. Right now, they're expanding on continued bankruptcy. Everyone knows that. I think right now, you know that as well. 
So essentially, that's Herschel Walker saying the audio wasn't that great and the, the comments were a little bit hard to pick up on, but he said that Medicaid expansion wasn't good and it will continue to bankrupt us. Governor Kemp has, of course, taken a similar stance opposing Medicaid expansion, but he couches a different way. He says that he'd rather have workforce requirements work and academic requirements tied to eligibility. Democrats have continued to say Medicaid expansion is part and parcel to a good health care policy and that it would add five to 600,000 new Georgians on the rolls. Yeah, and compare that to where the Democrats are on this issue. Medicaid expansion is one of Stacey Abrams' kind of pillars of her entire policy portfolio. Senator Warnock has pushed for Medicaid expansion since before he was in the Senate. And so this is another example of these candidates are just on two different planets, practically, when it comes to these policy positions. Kemp's is probably the more nuanced of the four because he's trying to find a little bit of a middle ground with with an exemption here and an exemption there. And yeah, you know, they've expanded it to um, first to women who were six months postpartum, and then they've just the General Assembly just expanded that to a year postpartum that Governor Kemp signed. So they're pushing out these expansions narrowly, but it's a really long way from where Stacey Abrams says it needs to be. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, with the other host, Patricia Murphy. And we are two of the political insiders at the AJC. We're also two of the authors of the Morning Jolt newsletter, which we like to say sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning. If you're a subscriber to the AJC, you can join the community this very moment by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts in your first month Unlimited digital access is just 99 cents. That's subscribe at ajc.com slash podcasts. So you always know what's really going on. And we are so thrilled to see so many of our listeners joining that community. And we get emails and texts and calls and tweets all the time from folks who love the podcast and also love the newsletter. Uh, to, uh, Patricia, I also got the chance to see uh, and hang out with some of our listeners from further afield, you know, we talked last week about how I was going to the Texas Tribune Festival to speak to panels. Well, several of our listeners 
reached out to me and I had dinner with some of them, hung out with some <laughs> others at, at different panels. And these are not Georgia listeners. These are listeners based in Texas or in DC or elsewhere. So it's really fun to, to get to know some of our listeners firsthand at the three day, what was it? No, yeah, three day Texas Tribune Festival. I love it. I love the idea of a politically podcast dinner. Um, with you paying for it. <laughs> did you know? <laughs> Listeners, did you know what benefit of this podcast is Greg will take you out to dinner <laughs> in Texas if you if you reach out to him? <laughs> Beers and tacos. We had a blast. I love it. Oh. That's so and, great. Uh, go ahead. And it was fun because it, it just so happened, not because if I was out there, they were already planning it, but some of our AJC executives were also out there to kind of scope the scene of the Texture Tribune Festival. And so our editor, Kevin Riley, walked by one of these dinners <laughs> And, uh, you know, just happened upon the uh, the second floor bar we were hanging out near where the conference was. And I said, Kevin, come join us. Um, so he got to meet some of our listeners as well. <laughs> He's like, hey, Greg, what are you doing? <laughs> out with strangers. Um, well, I love the Texas Trip Festival because it brings together um, so many political nerds, for lack of a better word. Um, and it reminds me of like the Sundance Film Festival, but for politics, because there are all these panels and big panels, little panels, national panels, local panels. And you were on a panel, weren't you on a panel with other statewide politics reporters from swing states? Yeah, John Ralston from the Nevada Independent was among them. It's really fascinating because we got to kind of share tips and talk to a, a broader audience about what it's like to cover politics in a battleground state. And of course, I joked that ours was the premier battleground state. Not really joked, but put forward the challenge to any of these uh, other reporters who came from Ohio, Nevada, and Pennsylvania, if their state was a better battleground than Georgia. And of course, they had their views of it. But it's hard to say Ohio is even much of a battleground these days. But Nevada, Pennsylvania, they're also definitely in the spotlight. What I liked about this festival was that you got national folks, you have Ted Cruz and, and Glenn Youngkin was there and Pete Buttigieg and Hillary Clinton and Liz Cheney. But you also had a number of local events. I mean, you had four or five panels alone just on the Texas legislative session, right? The panels that really didn't interest me as much because I'm one of those national guys who was in there to speak. So I was more interested in the broader national th panels and the national themes. But to a Texas audience, you know, it's like catnip, right? It, it is right up their alley. They're about to start another se legislative session, and they got to hear from the Texas House Speaker and key lawmakers from both parties and advocates and, and others about what to expect coming up. And, you know, the governor didn't show up and the attorney general didn't show up. I don't, I don't know if they were invited or what, but I know that a number of big-time Republicans and Democrats are all around Texas were there. And Patricia, what was also striking to me was the interest in Georgia everywhere I went. What's going to go? What's going to happen with Herschel Walker? What's going to happen to Senator Warren? I love Warren? it. What's gonna well, Her Herschel Walker used to live in Texas for a long exactly. time. But that reminded me that Georgia continues to be really, and we say this all the time, but the center of the national spotlight because the folks who were there, yes, they were political junkies, but they really had a devout and deep understanding of where things were. They all knew about our poll, right? <laughs> they all oh. knew about the latest <laughs> developments. A lot of them, as I mentioned, were, were podcast listeners already or bought my book flipped. Um, so, you know, there is a deep reservoir of Georgia interests far beyond our state lines. I love it. I feel like we need an Atlanta Journal Constitution Tribune Festival. We'll see. We'll see. That would be so that would be super cool. AJC I'm just, Fest. I'm just putting that out there. I'm putting that into the universe, yes. <laughs> 
That is all the time we have for today's episode of the Politically Georgia podcast. Coming up on Friday's episode, we'll answer your questions from the listener mailbag, which you can now call into. It's the Politically Georgia podcast hotline. You can call anytime, leave a question, and we'll play it back and answer your question right here on the podcast. Shaney B is ready and waiting with a growing team of interns and volunteers. He's now recruiting from his Shaney B <laughs> Twitter page. There's, so there's all these people who are calling in. It was the talk of my synagogue. <laughs> all sorts of people um, were, were asking me how they can call how in. How they can work for Shaney B. And how they can work for him. Well, the number is 770-810-5297. That's 770-810-5297. You can also tweet us. You can text us, you can email us, let us hear from you. I feel like if we get enough questions, we always have too many questions. Eventually, we're going to just lump them all together and just do a show about nothing but questions. We love that idea. And we always appreciate you spending time with us for the Politically Georgia podcast. You can count on new episodes of this podcast to come out every Wednesday and every Friday or whenever big news breaks. We'll see you next time on the Politically Georgia podcast from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.